Welcome to the Theory and Practice Podcast, hosted by me, Anna Cordera. I created Theory and Practice after growing tired of the exclusive and perfectionist nature of wellness conversations. And so my hope is that with this platform and this podcast, we inspire you, the next generation of changemakers, to prioritize self-discovery before self-improvement. So every week, we'll bring you the ideas and resources to help you get to know yourself better through conversations with young emerging thought leaders and established trailblazers and the ever so often solo episode with just me sharing a book or idea that has helped me in my journey of self-discovery. So thanks so much for listening and for joining along. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode. Today, I am honored to share with you the first episode and conversation of the Theory and Practice podcast. And I'm deeply honored that it happens to be with my friend, Brooke LeBlanc. And Brooke is the founder and CEO of Edge, which is a consumer health app building for the next generation of sobriety. Brooke is a force and a bold contrarian thinker who made a courageous decision, and I really admire her for this, two years ago to stop drinking alcohol. And since then, she really has been building a company based on her learnings and experience. So we go into all of this in this episode. We have a really raw and unfiltered conversation on everything from why she chose to quit alcohol at the age of 24. We talk about the connection between creativity, spirituality, and sobriety, her advice for navigating dating and sobriety, what she thinks the future of sobriety in the non-alcoholic space looks like, and a lot, a lot more. So without further ado, let's dive in into this week's conversation with none other than Brooke LeBlanc. Brooke, thank you so much for being the first guest in the Theory and Practice podcast. I'm honored truly to have you here. I'm super excited for our conversation. Um, you know, I really am inspired by your journey, um, by the thought pieces that you've written and published. And I'm very excited to just learn f- more from you and from your ideas and specifically from the ideas that um, you have that have helped you get to where you are. I'd love to get started just by having you introduce yourself. Um, tell us who you are. What's your story? Thank you so much for having me. Uh, I'm honored to be on here. Uh, I guess let's get started to talk about why I got sober, because mm-hmm. that's a huge part of why I'm here today. Um, it was COVID 2020, October 4th, 2020, to be exact. Mm-hmm. And I was looking to transition into a startup role. I was traditionally working in corporate sales and I wanted more hours back in my day. So I decided to stop drinking for a week and Mm -hmm. then I pushed that to being for an entire month of no drinking at all, cut off a lot of social events, just hunkered down, worked really hard and then I turned it into three months of no drinking and by that point I decided to call myself sober. So that time period was really instrumental for me. And I have all these journals. I do the five-minute journal every single day. Mm -hmm. Um, So I have this crazy journal back at home of all of the emotions that I was going through. 
And that really was a pivotal moment for me because I, you know, I grew up in Atlanta, Georgia. I went to school at University of Georgia. Um, and then I moved up to New York in January 2019, started my career in sales. I was on the fast track. I was getting promoted. And then I decided to go from a very cushy, cushy sales job and get into the startup world, which is already a big jump. Um, COVID turned everything upside down for myself and a lot of other people in their early 20s. Um, right. And and yeah, I just I really decided to make the best decision for myself at the time, um, put my health first and really be contrarian and say I'm willing to lose friends if this is an issue. Um, actually, my roommate at the time is not my friend anymore, and that's OK. But it was really that was such a pivotal, pivotal moment for me. And then one full year later at my one year mark, so around October 2022, or 2021, I shared an essay mm-hmm. calling, call, I, I, I published it on the blockchain. Yeah. Um, so it's immutable. It's, it cannot be deleted ever. Um, I went over to Happy Medium, this art cafe in New York, and I wrote in one sitting my sobriety journey. Wow. I didn't ask any friends for edits. I didn't really look over it twice. I just published it right there. And that went viral online, which was really cool. Um, and that's really what spurred this movement and this kind of why behind what I'm building as a product now. And I'm creating an entire career off of my decision to get sober. Right. Just that's, by sharing it online. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. I read the essay. It's <laughs> really, really powerful. Um, we'll link it down below for anyone who wants to read it. There were a few phrases that really caught my eye that I want to talk to you about. So, for example, you wrote, to be inspired means to be in spirit. Inspiration, the root of creativity, is a blessing. And this is what I gave up when I would drink. Tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it's the truth behind it is, and I even said this earlier today to um, someone in my life who was drinking a lot this week to deal with something heavy and that was his band-aid of taking the edge off uh i believe that drinking for anyone and this is this was true for me it's true for my best friends that i see when they drink um it takes a little bit of your life force Mm -hmm. just a little bit Um, a little bit of the sparkle in your eye the passion in your heart it just turns the lights down a little bit it doesn't flip the switch it's not that usually not that detrimental to your core and yourself and your creativity, but it just, it's like a dimmer, it dims the light. And I felt that. And when I reflect on my drinking career, I use quotations, um, cause I drank in high school, college, a little bit out of college. So I had my fair share of drinks in my life. Um, when I reflect on that, I think about all the passions and interests that I didn't pursue that I am now pursuing. Mm. Um, in the sobriety community, we say you get two lives for the price of one when you stop drinking. Wow. That's incredible. <laughs> and yeah. that's, that's exactly how I feel now. Wow. I mean, I, I, I totally relate to that because I find that I am most creative when I'm sober and when I'm rested. Mm -hmm. And in fact, in the vision board, the mood board that I have right there, I have a little quote that I wrote down to remember that I feel my best and my most creative when I'm sober, rested, and exercised. Mm -hmm. So I really find, for me, a connection between sobriety and creativity, specifically. Mm -hmm. Um, And for example, I couldn't have built theory and practice all last year when I was just going out so much and drinking so much. And it really took a moment in my life to pause and breathe and remember that 
I can do so much more with my life and I can find so much more purpose when I don't drink. Now, I am not sober. I do drink. Um, but I find that I feel so much better when I don't. <laughs> um, and then that, that I find like these like it, beautiful moments of creativity and spark. And I love that you say that um, you kind of find like a you get two lives for one when you stop drinking because you find you learn about yourself in different ways. And my hope is maybe one day I'll, I hope to get sober. Um, I'm very sober curious. So this is why I've, I was very much looking forward to this conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also love your point about the connection between um, spirit and creativity. You also mm-hmm. wrote in that essay, when I would drink, I felt that some darkness. So I felt some darkness creep back in from my college years. I couldn't describe it well at the time, but now I know it's resistance to my soul's purpose. Is there a connection between sobriety and spirituality? There was for me. Uh, so before, so I, I got sober October 4th, 2020. That summer, I was drinking pretty heavily. Um, I had just moved back to New York after being at home for a few months for COVID during the height of the pandemic. And it was zone two in New York. So you could drink in the streets. A mm-hmm. lot of my friends came back. Uh, we were, you know, outdoors because this was pre-vaccine, but we were drinking quite heavily. And that was, there was a huge turning point for me. So I lived in financial district and there's an awesome bookstore called McNally Jackson. I walked in and I had some sort of spark of an idea to pick up a book. Um, it's called The Seed of the Soul by Gary Zukov. And I haven't read it, but it's on my list. Oh, okay. You're reading this. After, <laughs> we're going to have a book club. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> because it, it, was, it was so impactful. And um, it's actually the book that Oprah cites the most mm. in her work. And she's my North Star person. Mm-hmm. She's who I look up to above all else. Um, if I could achieve one sixteenth of what she's done, I'd yeah. you know, feel pretty fulfilled. And so I read that book. And I remember this was probably around June or July that summer, the last summer I drank. And it was the heat of the summer. Um, I was laying on a wooden bench on the 16th floor of our building. We had a roof deck, a very small roof deck, to be frank. Um, and I would, I just did not leave that bench until I finished the book. I couldn't get it. I couldn't put it down. It was so impactful. And in that book, it talked about having a splintered personality where you are detached from your core self. Um, if you do things, it didn't mention drinking at all, but I associated that to myself in my mm-hmm. own drinking patterns, um, you lose sight of your why. Uh, you, you're not living as intentionally. And that's actually, if I think back, if I rewind the tape back to when I was around 16 or so, I know drinking underage, mm-hmm. not great, but we're being honest here. Right. Um, we're keeping it real with y'all. Yes. <laughs> um, I remember just the reason why I even got into drinking in the first place was that it was just what you did. You didn't mm-hmm. question it. It was so ubiquitous. It was everywhere. It's easy to pick up. There's a liquor store or a bar on every block in this city. Um, you know, sometimes parents would have it. They'd serve it to you. So that is, in essence, at its core, living without intention. And now everything that I do is with is seeped in intention. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's I'm living by design. Mm-hmm. And they actually, tying it back to spirituality, there's a text by Florence Govelshin from the 1930s, and she mentions this. She calls it divine design. Mm. And so the ability to design your life in a way where all of the hours, 
So all the time and all the energy that you would have spent normally drinking, you get to fill that. It's like a vacuum now when you create that space in your life and you get to fill it with anything else that's important to you. And every day that you choose not to drink, that's a compounded effect over time that you choose something else that's more aligned with you, especially as a woman. It's really challenging to make sure you put yourself first. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Sobriety. I mean, to me, it's very spiritual because I now have this unshakable connection with myself. Mm -hmm. And I think people can feel that when I walk in a room that they're getting the same me, whether or not we're at a podcast studio or going out at night. Yeah. I love that so much. There's, um, you, you really, you know yourself better. It sounds like, um, since becoming sober and, you know, theory and practice, we are a platform for self-discovery. That is just like, that is the tagline. That's the the content that we create is for people to go on self-discovery journeys. So I'd love to learn a little bit more about those early days when you made this pivot in your life to uh, remove alcohol from from your life. How did that process, because I imagine it was a lot of, you had to be a lot even more intentional than ever before with your time, with your friendships, um, tell us a little bit more about those early days of becoming sober and for those looking to cut back on their alcohol consumption, to go sober, what would you say, what would be your advice for those in those early days? First thing is you're not alone. <laughs> there are so many people who are in your shoes, have felt every emotion you're feeling and I know it can feel really isolating. I was experiencing, this is self-diagnosed, but I was experiencing depression and anxiety before I quit drinking. So I really felt this internal storm where I was getting a promotion at work. I had friends in the city. I would go out. People would, on the outside looking in, think everything was great. On the inside, I didn't feel right. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know what it was. Um, My advice would be, to find what's important to you and chase it. I had a conversation with someone yesterday who said she's sober curious, but she doesn't know when or how to fully stop drinking. One, because it's scary, because if you're in your 20s, you have hopefully, knock on wood, another 60 plus amazing healthy years of your life. Yep. That's a huge commitment. Um, so that's just overwhelming to think about. And then second, she she didn't have a rock bottom quote unquote Mm -hmm. so what I really think would be helpful for her for example or for anyone listening is to define what's important to you like you have a medal hanging up I'm about to do my first Mm -hmm. marathon this year that's super important to me yeah and so find what you really care about like do you really want to repair that relationship with your sibling do you really want to get that promotion at work yeah whatever is really really attractive to you in life use that as your North Star instead of the reverse, which is thinking about, oh, I have to give something up. Mm -hmm. This is a negative thing to stop drinking or I have to hit a rock bottom to stop. So really my advice would be to get clear on what you want in life and then let going sober be the catalyst for that growth. That makes total sense. Um, There's a mental framework that I like to think about when it comes to this is long-term thinking over short-term thinking. Mm like knowing the long-term impact and of a decision and realizing whether that is more important than the short-term 
impact and it usually is the long-term impact is much weighs way more heavily than the short-term impact um and actually that's what i think about when i drink is like okay well maybe in this moment right now when i'm with my friends it's going to feel good but like tomorrow how am i going to wake up if i take this other shot now sometimes of course i'm human and i slip up and i choose to you know think about i i prioritize a short-term impact over the long term but i think that long-term thinking is really helpful when making when approaching decisions um, regarding alcohol or regarding other substances. What really helped me too, and um, I don't know how to continue this, but what I did prior to running the no, the November New York Marathon was I stopped drinking for a month because I really, really, really was very intentional with the time that I wanted for the marathon. And I knew that I wanted to minimize all risk factors going into the marathon and one of those risk factors I determined was alcohol and if I was hung over on Friday I wouldn't be able to run 15 miles my 15 mile run on Saturday so having like a little goal like that like that you just mentioned about prioritizing what's important in your life and at the time for me what was important was having the time that I wanted for the marathon and I also you know having those 35 days of not no alcohol for me really helped me realize that okay I could do it in social settings um but I think it's 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 difficult to especially for young people when we're living in the city and when we're navigating relationships um I have to admit I went on a date back in 2021 sober it was my first sober date and I was super anxious the whole time so and I remember thinking I don't know how I can do this again and I spoke with my therapist about it after what, what advice do you have for people navigating relationships and dating sober? Oh, uh, first off, that's amazing because anxiety is a gift. Mm. It's your body trying to tell you something. And having that physical response is a, a blessing to take a moment and pause and ask yourself, what is the truth behind this? Why? Why am I feeling this? Um, is it that I actually didn't want to go on this date with this guy? Mm-hmm. Is it that I would rather have spent my night going to Equinox or whatever yeah. is important to you? Um, so I really, I found a lot of, I found a lot of uh, wisdom and in leaning into those emotions. And instead of adding a value system to it by saying, oh, that was a bad date because I was anxious. I was anxious because I was sober. Saying I was anxious. I'm grateful for the contrast. I'm grateful mm-hmm. for the awareness of knowing that I was anxious. Why Why was I stressed? Why was I anxious? And then when you tap into your nervous system and understand your body more, you can go on dates, be sober, and not have those emotions. Um, and that's more of a green light. And that shows you, oh, maybe you have a connection with that person. Maybe you get along on certain, maybe you're both runners. And yep. your next date could be a, going on a four mile run on (laughs) the west side highway so it really it's instead of thinking that you're hitting a wall think of it think of it as you're opening a door Mm -hmm. a door to a new version of yourself a new way to explore yourself because dating is very self-exploratory I've grown Mm -hmm. a lot through relationships um there's and and then there's so many little tricks too with dating so uh when I was first when I was first sober and I adopted the word sober and I decided this is my life and this is the best decision for me. And I was sticking to it no matter what, even if I only told five people, my mom, my boyfriend at the time and a few friends, um, 
I told my work that I was focusing on my health and I was not drinking for a short period of time. And then eventually we just stopped having that conversation. So I, w- I really leaned into sobriety in a way where I dipped my toes in the water before I jumped in. Yep, yep. <laughs> and I did the same with dating. So for example, let's say I was going on a first date tonight. I would text him before and say, hey, I have work tomorrow, big project. Just want to let you know, I'll be drinking San Pellegrino and a wine glass with a splash of lime (laughs) and just close the door. So there are so many ways where you can show up with confidence and really build your integrity. It's not gonna be easy at first, um, but it's gonna be worth it in the end. And it's back to your point about short-term and long-term thinking. Um, As a young person, it's really hard to know if something is gonna be worth it in the long run because Mm -hmm. we just don't have that history yet in our life to be able to reflect on. Um, But just treating everything as a lesson and Mm -hmm. just saying, what did I learn from that date? Or what can I learn from these nerves before yes. I'm going into this date? Um, yes. And just tapping into it and celebrating it. Like, yeah. that's amazing. It's a gift. Your body's talking to you. A hundred percent. Everything that you're saying is tied back to self-discovery. Mm-hmm. Like, that's what really you're encouraging people to think about and to, to embed in their lives is self-discovery after a date, after um, a social event at work where they chose not to drink. Um after you know going out with friends and not drinking there really is power behind asking yourself questions of how did that make me feel and also asking those questions without any judgment just getting curious with those feelings and getting curious with the responses to those questions that you're asking yourself so i have to ask um you know the self-discovery journey is always filled with um, reflections that oftentimes come after challenging times. Was there, I'm sure, well, actually you're human. We all have challenging moments, but can you speak about one challenging moment that you encountered, um, you've encountered so far where embedding self-discovery and those questions and introspection helped you? Lots of challenging moments. <laughs> I would say more so in year one of sobriety. Mm-hmm. So I'm I actually last week celebrated two and a half years. Congrats. <laughs> Thank you. That's amazing. Thank really you. inspiring. Thank you. It's I'm I'm now in my later twenties mm-hmm. and this is something that I even last night I was asked, Am I doing this for the rest of my life? I said one day at a time, no promises, but mm. um the goal is yes, sober. That's amazing. <laughs> I love that. And Thank then you. as far as like um, the, a challenging time, mm. would you say that uh, like, would you say the earlier days were harder or the days now harder or you don't you don't really approach it with a mentality of like difficulty because it just comes so naturally to you? Like what's t- tell me a little bit about if there's challenge in this in this decision that you made early on. Yes, uh, I will say first things first. A hard day sober is better than a great day drinking. Mm -hmm. So all of these challenges are welcome because I can tell you firsthand that the gifts you get back from making this decision is worth it. It is worth it. Yes. It was much more challenging in year one because I was fighting myself internally Mm -hmm. and projections externally. So... I find it quite easy to meet new people as a sober person because they get to meet you as the sober version of yourself. Mm -hmm. Now it's quite hard to go back and reintroduce yourself to friends, family, 
college friends, everyone you did know, and say, hi, I'm not a drinker anymore. Do you still want to be friends? Or yeah. what does our relationship look like if I don't have a glass of wine at Thanksgiving? Um, so whatever your circumstances are, whatever pressures you have, you face that resistance and your social, your need for social belonging is the first pillar of your life that kind of gets, gets rocked a bit mm -hmm. externally. So everything changed for me when I had integrity with myself. I felt confident that I was never going to pick up a drink, but I could still go out to the bar, go to my friend's birthday party or whatever the circumstance was and not pick up a drink. And someone could project something on me. They could look at me wrong, right. odd, oddly, and say, why, scrunch up their face, why are you yeah. not drinking? What's your story? Uh, you're going to get a lot of that, no, no doubt about it. And that's probably a good thing. It means you're probably doing something right. If you are making a decision for yourself that bothers someone else, every time you encounter that resistance and you choose to overcome it, you're going to be stronger. Mm -hmm. And that strength is going to show up in your work in your relationships, yep. in your fitness, whatever priorities you have. Yes. And that will is something that people are going to feel when you walk in the room. It's like an aura. Yeah. And I hope to only continue to develop it for myself. Also, what I like to remind people of is once you overcome the internal resistance, you give other people permission to show up as their authentic selves, which is really the juice Yes, when you think about it here. Because now if I'm at a dinner table with 10 people and I raise my hand and say, I'll have a non-alcoholic option or a mocktail, there will be at least three other people who yes. raise their hand and say, me too, when before they wouldn't. Yes. And so you give other people permission to be themselves. Uh, it's, I agree. I mean, there's nothing more powerful than seeing someone step into their own integrity and their own identity and be able to say this is who I am and I'm not going to compromise because then it's like okay well she's not willing to compromise she's choosing to be who she is maybe maybe I can be that way too maybe I should be that way too it's really really inspiring now we talked about sobriety when it comes to dating we talked about your journey we talked about some challenging times your essay before we shift gears into talking about what you're building, which is really exciting. I want to ask you one last question, which I'm sure is on people's mind of how do you handle sobriety and friendships, specifically um, friendships with those that have a very different approach and relationship with alcohol than you had or have? It's really challenging. Well, from personal principles, I try to always be a teacher, not a preacher. Mm -hmm. And I never want to come across as holier than thou, which is how some people interpret sobriety. Yep. I, I believe in the framework that is really effective in parenting, which is leading by example. Mm -hmm. And I usually never instigate a conversation for someone to change their habits with drinking. Um, I let someone come to me, like a friend or family member, and let them say, hey, I'm super curious, or hey, what would it look like if we didn't drink tonight? What would mm -hmm. we do differently? And that's my door to say, here are the tools. Yes, They're at your disposal. You can use it today. It's okay if you drink tomorrow. There is, there's no rules in the game of life. It's your life. And I want people to feel empowered to choose sobriety if they want it, mm -hmm. and choose so, to be sober curious if they want it. I never want to tell anyone what to do, and that's what's helped more of my friends get sober or stay sober than anything else. Yeah. 
because we grow up in this fear-based society of dare programs in the united states yes and we're told if you drink or the worst case scenario is going to happen and i know i threw that information out the window (laughs) Uh, i'm sure a lot of my other friends did and it's it's really challenging when i have a friend who is their consumption is um unhealthy it's really hard to see that I, you know, I can open the door. I can say, listen, I'm there for you in that moment. Um, the next day we could talk about it. But ultimately, everyone is responsible for their own lives. Mm-hmm. Um, there's only so much anyone can do. Um, it's it's really challenging. And then when it comes to relationships, I've seen, uh, you know, I, I was in a sorority in college. Mm-hmm. I, that's a pool of 300, 400 women at once, like 100 people per yeah. badge class yeah, at yeah, a yeah. large university, SEC school. And now, you know, my friends are, I can count them on two hands, my close friends. And that's a really positive signal in my life because the people who are in my life, I love. They're Mm -hmm. my ride or dies. Mm -hmm. You know, I'd go to war with them. (laughs) And I've become so much more vulnerable with them. So I get to talk about their autoimmune disorder or their toxic ex that caused trauma in their life. Or we get to go there in a way that without having these authentic heart-to-heart connections when drinking was involved and we would just chat about many all whatever's going on in our day-to-day now I get to have stronger roots with the people in my life and it keeps me grounded Mm -hmm. keeps me sane Mm -hmm. it's my steady rock when everything else can (laughs) change in life especially with career in a big city like this and then all the friends that weren't deep connections you know maybe we're just acquaintances and that's yeah. okay. Totally. I think it's totally okay for friendships to evolve. Um, and as you step more and more into your power and your identity and choose to not compromise parts of your identity, that's also where you see you see who chooses to stay in your life um, who, and cho- who decides to step away. Um, and at the end of the day, like your ride or dies will support you uh, with, you know, your, your, your ability to step into your own power so friendships may evolve but the ones that the the foundation is there will stay um so thank you for sharing your perspective on that i want to shift gears into talking about what you're building i'd love to (laughs) so i've been working in startups for the past several years Um, i've been in sales my entire career so about four and a half years now and blending my professional experience of working at early stage tech startups. So all venture backed, one was seed stage, one was series A, and I've consulted with other projects, of course, in the space. Um, And then blending that with my personal experience and this deep mission that I have to help other people. Um, I found actually the moment when I hit publish on that essay, I knew I had founder market fit Mm. and I was searching for an idea from that moment. Um, I was, I had a voice in this space. I had something to say and I was looking at business models, um, trying to find how can I use business as a vehicle to fulfill my mission? It's my Trojan horse. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So after a few incubators over the past few years, um, I've decided to build and we're an app to help you achieve your health goals by cutting back or quitting drinking. That's amazing. That's amazing. And it's, um, you are currently pre-launch, right? You're not, you haven't launched yet. Exactly. Yep. Okay. So tell us a little bit more about what, if you can, if you're able to, of what the app will entail 
um, who it's for and uh, how people can learn more. Where, where can they find out more? Um, stay tuned for updates on my personal socials at Brooke LeBlanc. I'll be sharing more updates as we go along. But essentially, we're going to provide content, community, and a space for you based on your health goal mm-hmm. to align with a coach, so someone who's been there before, and then you're p- placed in a cohort. So let's say you're running for your first marathon. You'll have a coach in there who's guiding you along the way, and you'll have a cohort of other people who are doing the same thing. Um, you'll receive sobriety streaks. So instead of one long counter, which mine is now over 900 days, which is wow. crazy. Yeah, that's so inspiring. It's it's really wild to open up an app and see that um, number. But instead of that, we want to make this more approachable and friendly for people, no matter where their journey is, mm-hmm. and positively incentivize them. What, whether or not they want to cut back, which is which could be two drinks a week, or quit and it's only for two weeks or only for three months. Um, That's really the way I see users moving towards, which is sobriety isn't an end all be all. Mm -hmm. And there's no shame if you have a weekend where you take a drink. So we're building a platform for that. And Mm. we're also going to integrate with wearables. So right now I'm wearing an aura ring. Um, I have my whoop at home charging and Apple watch and all of that. So we're going to incorporate all that data to be able to track your biometrics, Mm -hmm. um, to be able to help you understand your body more and Mm -hmm. how drinking affects that Mm. and let you choose how you want to move forward. Mm. I love that. I think it, um, there are so many, it's such a valuable program that you're doing an app and product that you're building one, because you're introducing the idea of flexibility and you're removing the pressure that sometimes can come with the word sober. Um, so I love that aspect. And then two, the, um, the health point too with the wearables is at least for me, like a huge value add to know like the, the health impact that my binge drinking may be causing my, you know, sleep patterns or, you know, other aspects of my health that I wouldn't know if I didn't have a wearable that was directly giving me information about the impact of drinking. So I think that's so, so cool. And then also the last piece is just the community piece, because thankfully we're now seeing many more conversations. Sorry for the ambulance people. If you're hearing this, we're filming it in New York. So please excuse it. And we have the window open. But um, the community aspect is so huge, especially like just you feel when you have a support group, when you have people around you also going through that journey. And when you have a mentor or a coach guiding you, mm-hmm. you feel unstoppable. So I love that that model. And um, I'm I'm excited to, to try it too. Once uh, once you guys launch. Thank do, you. Do you, have, to have you. do you have do you have is there like a timeline that you can share or? Yep. Be on the lookout for dry January next year. Ooh, <laughs> that's amazing. Okay. That's a good hint. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I also want to talk to you about um, the office hours and I believe you started a newsletter too, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So before we get into the rapid fire questions, tell us more about the office hours that you host and the newsletter that you started. Yeah, all of it just falls under my mission of helping people improve their lives and become a healthier, stronger version of themselves. And through that is helping you cut back or quit drinking. So I decided to spend my mornings on Saturday and Sunday 
talking with people and one-on-one coaching with them and learning more about their journey. Um, in exchange, they provide a donation to Haymakers for Hope, which is uh, fighting cancer. And they're a charity that I'm working with to earn my bib for the Berlin Marathon this year. Mm-hmm. So I thought that would be a really, really exciting and impactful win-win situation for both me and the people that I get to give back to. Uh, I'm very responsive on social media, so I've really been chatting with people every day for three, for two and a half years, yeah. uh, on and off, just about this journey. And I, I care a lot about helping people on a very individual level, and that's a way for me to have FaceTime mm-hmm. and understand people's journey and help understand the frameworks that I can share back with them of how to think about their priorities mm-hmm. in life and how to coach them. So that's a really exciting thing that I've been kicking off. Um, we're, we're also launching a newsletter, so that's called Social Experiment. Mm. And the premise is to chat about what sobriety looks like from a cultural lens. Mm. Um, as a CEO and founder in the space, I do a ton of research. <laughs> Yeah, extensive amount of research on the history of drinking, the future of drinking, other substances. I call them state change ingredients and Mm. how that will affect whether or not we pick up a drink or not. Um, I speak with leaders in the sobriety space, developing mocktail beverages that are blowing up, getting tons of investment. Um, So that's going to be a place where I get to have those conversations with leaders in the sobriety space. We talk about the future of drinking, Mm -hmm. why we drink, um, and really just the behavioral and social norms around drinking. And it's really just going to be a forum where you can tune in and learn about all the things that I fill my day with, Mm -hmm. all the curiosities, odds and ends of building the company that I'm building, and more so just taking a wider uh, view on why we drink Mm. can people sign up for that now they can they can yeah where can people sign up yeah so we're hosting it on beehive um i have a link tree in my bio so go follow me at brick leblanc on social go to link tree and you can sign up for coaching or my newsletter okay amazing and to the point on um the future of drinking Mm. that piqued my curiosity where what's the future of drinking culture what's the future of the non-alcoholic space. Tell us a little bit more. Like, what do you see from conversations you're having with others um, who are building in this space? Uh, where Where are we going? Not to steal the thunder from what you'll publish in the newsletter, <laughs> but I'm just genuinely curious. Yeah. Oh, this can be a teaser. A theory yeah. And practice perfect. Exclusive. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I have very strong conviction and a mountain of evidence. Mm-hmm that leads to every single bar, every single restaurant, airport lounge, stadium, sporting event, everywhere you go where there's alcohol, there will be a non-alcoholic option everywhere you go. There's also going to be a shift away from alcohol in total. So it's not even going to be alcohol versus non-alcoholic options. There's also going to be a huge alternative space and we're starting to see that so in america we see the legalization of marijuana Mm -hmm. we also see the destigmatization of psychedelics so people using psilocybin um, in a positive manner to enrich their lives Uh, we see ashwagandha and reiki and uh, all sorts of herbal medicinal mushrooms and powders and potions that are um, 
ages old. This is not new information. These aren't new substances. We also see substances from other parts of the world being brought to the United States, canned and thrown on a shelf Mm -hmm. with a price tag. So for example, kava is an an ingredient that's coming on the space. So there's also another piece to it, which is we are more informed than ever before of our bodies the truth behind our bodies and the truth behind what alcohol does to our bodies. Mm -hmm. So with new data, new substances, and then alternatives to alcohol, we are going to drastically decrease our alcohol consumption as a whole. And we're going to see more and more people become either sober curious or sober or whether or not they're sober for their whole lives or just two weeks or three years, whatever it is, whatever works for you. We're going to see that on a wide scale. So, I'm really grateful to be a part of this. I feel like we're in the first inning of the industry right now. Yeah, yeah. It's really exciting. We're on the precipice. Um, we've seen so much movement in the space in the last year. For sure. And I'm just really psyched to be here. Well, I mean, we are so excited to see you embark on this, this journey. Um, really grateful also that you are one of those leaders in this space because your approach to sobriety, to even decreasing the amount of alcohol consumption that someone has is really appealing to the theory and practice community that is tired of people telling them what to do or how to think or what to eat or what to drink. Like the idea behind self-discovery is that Every person knows themselves best and there are leaders and resources and programs meant to empower you to discover what works best for you. And when you approach sobriety with that lens of curiosity, with removing the pressure of it being like a one and done thing forever, you introduce people to the idea that it's possible for them and let them decide whether it works for them without telling them, oh, you have to be sober, you have to that. So really, really appealing um, way of approaching what you're building, um, the non-alcoholic space. Really excited by those um, findings that you were talking about, the future, and um, really grateful to have you. So before we close, we'd like to ask five um, rapid-fire questions. So what is one habit, ritual, or belief that you have that has changed your life? My name is Brickle Blanc and good things happen to me. Mm, oh my God, I love that so much. Oh my gosh, that's so incredible. It's self-worth. It's so the root of confidence is building trust with yourself. And you do that by making and keeping, as in fulfilling, small promises. Mm-hmm. And by telling myself affirmations, by doing daily meditation, by getting eight hours of sleep, I am making a promise to myself that I'm gonna show up as my highest best self and take on the day. There's another affirmation that I repeat. I actually did this on my way over here. (laughs) And it's a quote from Marianne Williamson from the book Return to Love, Mm -hmm. which is a classic. Uh, The quote goes, where would you have me go? What would you have me do? What would you have me say and to whom? And it's a way to get in touch with the core of yourself and make sure that every action that you take that day is aligned with who you are. It's being so intentional with you, the, the seat of who you are and making sure that people feel that. Mm. And it's, 
it's really hard to describe, but it's it that special sauce <laughs> in yeah. a way. That's what yeah. changes your everyday interactions. That's what makes my Uber driver who brought me over here, who was, you know, singing rap songs. We were stuck in traffic at the Holland <laughs> yeah. Tunnel. You know, that's what made his day because yeah. he was listening to my affirmations. <laughs> um, so it's it's all about spreading what's it's about cultivating the light inside of you and spreading it out mm. in very mundane ways. When you mm. order your coffee, when mm. you kiss your boyfriend goodbye, it's Easter Sunday. So, you know, after a nice brunch, <laughs> yes. yeah. it's all the little things that add up that really strengthen uh, the quality of life that you have because you're showing up as your most authentic intentional self in every room. Fantastic. I totally agree with that. Love it. What's uh, one product or service under $100 USD that you use to enhance your self-discovery journey? I, th so this is from James Clear. Love him. <laughs> Love his work. He's great. I've read Atomic Habits. Mm -hmm. Not to I have mention, it right there. Oh, yeah. It's not there anymore, but it's somewhere around here. <laughs> you have a great collection, by the way. Oh, I'm going to go through Thank you. Yeah, of course. <laughs> James, James Clear. I mean, he's an amazing thinker on the power of habit. And actually, when people ask me if I had a drinking problem, I say, no, I had a drinking habit. Mm. And flip that on its head. So I think of everything I do, all of my priorities, as a habit and an identity-based habit. So right now I'm developing who I am as a runner. My identity is I'm an athlete. Mm -hmm. I train like an athlete. Yes. I, I love to read, as I'm sure you know, I've mentioned four books here. So my identity there is I study like a student. I'm building a company, so my identity is I execute like a CEO. And those are the three core buckets that I'm working on right now. Yes. So something that helps my practice. So I've really done a good job of developing a daily meditation practice. If I skip a day, so be it. But generally speaking, I meditate every single day. I have a cushion, mm -hmm. 30 bucks on Amazon. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I have uh, lavender oils that I put on my hands, five bucks from Whole Foods. <laughs> and I have a candle, 20 bucks from Sephora. <laughs> And I don't light the candle, use my roller, or sit on that cushion unless I'm meditating. Mm. So I have wired my brain to believe when I do those three things, sit down, light the candle, put the oil on, that I am meditating. And it's whether or not you call this a Pavlovian response, I'm training myself that that's what I do when I sit down. That's my intentional time that I take. Um, it works. I've made the habit easy. I leave it out right there in the corner of my room, right by the window, and I get to look out at the New York City skyline and meditate every day. Um, yeah, and so those small tools, wellness doesn't have to be expensive. Mm -hmm. It can be really accessible, affordable. Um, you know, I could, I'm sure there are $40, $60 oils, but mine is $5. That's okay. Yep. It works for me. So it's also about understanding that wellness doesn't have to be so unapproachable, so 100%. unattainable. And yes. it's really just about what's the smallest unit of that habit that you can maintain every single day consistently. Yes. And there's so many different kinds of meditation. So to find the one that worked for me, I was on YouTube. Mm -hmm. Just go on YouTube free. Just <laughs> there are free meditations on YouTube. So many, yeah. so yeah. many. It's incredible. <laughs> Thank you. What's one free app that you use to enhance your self discovery journey on your phone? 
Ooh. Spotify. <laughs> Spotify. Love it. Yep. I have a playlist called Every Day. And when I was first getting into my meditation journey, I got consistent January of last year. Um, I took a personal sabbatical. I was in <laughs> Mexico City, which oh, is a deeply amazing. spiritual country. Yes. Beautiful people, amazing roots and heritage. Did you know I'm from Mexico? Have I told you I that? I don't know if you were. Oh. Well, <laughs> I love that you love Mexico, but continue. Sorry. It's a lovely country. And I went all around. Um, I stayed with a host family in mm -hmm. some cities. So that was amazing. Um, yeah. And so that couldn't have been a better place for me to say, this is where I am becoming my most spiritual self and developing a meditation practice. Um, yeah, so I went on Spotify, made a playlist called Every Day. I listen to a song today off it. Um, so it's easy and I know to go to it every time I listen to one of those songs, I snap back into my true self. Um, and then the most advanced piece of technology is our bodies. So I also do breath work. And today in the car, um, I do this when I'm waiting for a train, when I'm sitting in a car in traffic. Um, I will do vase breathing, which is where you breathe in really deep and then you take in one sip of air, you mm -hmm. hold it and then you breathe out. Um, I might alarm people <laughs> who are near me because it is a, it is kind of um, in today's day and age, you know, when you're commuting, yeah. it's a bit counterintuitive totally. to focus on your breath. But yeah, it's, it's really about just making wellness accessible and easy. And Spotify is a great tool for that as well. Yeah. And there are also um, great podcasts and I'm sure meditations too that you can find on, on Spotify for free. Mm -hmm. So last question before I ask you, well, I guess not the last question. Second to last question. What's one resource, um, book, podcast, or thought leader that you recommend people to check out for not only their self-discovery journeys, but also for anyone who's curious about sobriety, who wants to decrease their alcohol consumption. So I guess like it's a twofold question. One resource um, for people to enhance their self-discovery journeys and one resource for people interested in sobriety. A tool for self-discovery would be Open, and that's the name of an app. I love Open. They have been a huge part of my journey so far. Um, I found them in Venice last April, and they have a studio in LA. So if you're listening to this and you're in LA, you should go in person. Otherwise, they have an app, and they cover breathwork, meditation, movement, and they're coming up with more core offerings. But they're the the root of what they do is not just a sound bath, but they teach you a three part breath, which is belly, chest as an inhale, and then you exhale, and you do it three-part mm. breath and kind of a rapid movement and you do it to the pace of music so it's fun but it also really brings you in it really makes you feel whatever is going on um i have a very active mind so when i do those practices especially for a 40 minute or 60 minute block i actually go clear and my mind kind of clears out in a way where i've read joe dispenza i love his work me too he's love great him. yes uh have you been to one of his retreats now is on the list. I know, me too. <laughs> <laughs> I think we know what we need to do now. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it, what he talks about with his meditations is you want to enter the quantum field, which is really mm -hmm. just feeling feeling nothing in no time and being nobody and no one. And it's just eliminating all of your beliefs and kind of being in this generous present moment because we're always either in 
the known past or the predictable future. And the core of what his teachings are is to be present. And when mm-hmm. you're doing breath work, you're because you're so focused on your breath, which is an incredibly advanced bodily function that we take for granted every day because it's usually just going on in the background. But when we bring it to the forefront, it takes up a lot of our focus. So then our emotions get to come up. And Open has been an incredible tool on my journey. So download the app, go to the studio. They're awesome. Every single time I've gone, it's been a transformative experience. Um, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> of course. And then what would you say is a resource for those interested in sobriety? We we chat, I think we chatted about this, but there's a book called Quit Like a Woman. Yeah, we did talk about this. Yes, yes, yes. But tell us more. <laughs> so Holly Whitaker, she, there's two women who really led the way um, in terms of being an influencer or just an influential voice in the sobriety space. One woman is named... Ruby Warrington, and mm-hmm. she coined the term Sober Curious. I have her book too, actually. She's amazing. Yeah. She's also working on some other work right now that's on the forefront of being a woman who intentionally chose not to have a family. So mm-hmm. she, I just really respect how she just puts her stake in the ground and says, I stand for this, take it or leave it, and writes a book about it. Uh, so Ruby Warrington is great, and she has a book on, it's called Sober Curious. Um, and then there's another author called Hall, or uh, the author's name is Holly Whitaker, and the book is called Quit Like a Woman. Um, I know there's been some celebrities who have read it, Tinks, Chrissy Teigen. Yes. They've shared about their thoughts. Essentially, um, she was one of the first to really come out and say, uh, especially as a woman from a feminist take, we live in a patriarchal society in the United States, and something's not working for us. We're not earning what we want in some way, shape, or form in our lives there is likely something that we want to fix or change. And the best way to empower yourself is to quit drinking. But she really questions it and turns turns a narrative on its head because it's not your fault that you're a drinker. You still have to take responsibility for your journey. It's your life. Sure. But we live in a whole system that's built to make us drinkers. And yeah. there's a reason why I was a high schooler drinking. Yeah. Um, and it was so available and unquestioned. And you were questioned if you weren't hungover on a Sunday, eating bagels with your friends, drinking Gatorade and recovering. Yes. Um, so it's it's this wild kind of primer to the system behind why we drink, how to be a woman in the world who's a non-drinker. And then um, we met, you mentioned this in our conversation. I found this really insightful. But you said that the framework of her recovery because she considered herself an alcoholic as an addicted to the substance, which is not my lived experience, but I have so much respect and empathy for that. Um, You used her recovery tools as a way to just go deeper within yourself, but you don't have a alcoholic history or like recovery journey. Thank you so much for this super insightful conversation. This has been a joy to talk to you. Um, And I'm so grateful that, you know, you agreed to be on and Um, I found it really valuable. I have no doubt that everyone listening and watching has also found it valuable. So where can people find you? At Brooke LeBlanc on Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn. Follow me on all social media. Um, I have our company page linked in my bio. So just give us a shout. And then I have a link tree. So you can sign up for our newsletter, coaching sessions, whatever floats your boat. And send me a DM because I'm very responsive. I love talking to you all. Oh, thank you so much, Brooke. We loved having you and um, we hope to have you again sometime. Thank you. 
Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. I hope that you enjoyed it. And if you did, please give us a rating, a follow, or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find Theory and Practice on Instagram, on TikTok, as well as our website, theoryandpractice.com. And thanks so much again. We'll see you next week.